You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Today's teaching text is Psalm 127. A Song of Ascents of Solomon Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. There we go. All right, so this morning, we're going to spend some time in a couple of passages uh, to see what God says about children and our role in parenting. Uh, before we pray, I, I want to acknowledge a couple different things. Uh, one, I hope that what you hear today is that God has given us this gift of children. And that he has called us as parents to, to raise them to love him and to build resilient disciples of Jesus. But before we do, I know that as we talk about parenting, like a bunch of emotions can come up for a lot of people. Whether that be because you, you've lost a child. Maybe you've not had a child that you've longed for. Maybe you're estranged from your child. Maybe you're estranged from your parents. Maybe you're a single parent at home, like wondering how in the world can I even do this? Like talking about parenting is a difficult emotional thing to talk about if we're being honest, right? And then just to put on top of that, even those of us who are just, every single one of us, we're trying to parent these kids. We can often, often, often feel like we're failing one day after another. And so as you feel those emotions come through your, your body, I want you to, rather than going into despair, I want to invite you to go to our Father in prayer. So I wanted to say that before we pray, just as a reminder that when you feel guilt coming on you, when you feel anger coming upon you, because we're talking about parenting, when you feel hurt and sadness, let's go to the Father in prayer. So let's pray. Father, as I hear this psalm read over us, I'm incredibly thankful for the gift of my two sons. I do not want to take them for granted. Raising them can be quite difficult. And I, I, I'm fearful for the day when they move on into independence. I'm overwhelmed by the fact that you call me son. So Father, as we sit in this room, men and women, like we hear this topic about parenting and we have a lot of different emotions that come up. Talking about parenting makes me miss my mom who died too young. Talking about parenting brings up traumas and scars from our own parents and it brings up feelings of failure about our own parenting. And for some, it might make us angry that you uh, allowed our child to, to die young. So Father, would you comfort the brokenhearted in the room today? Would you encourage beaten down hearts in this room this morning? Would you 
humble, proud hearts in the room this morning. The word says, unless the Lord builds the house, the, the builders build in vain. It, the work is useless. This word from your, your scriptures is enough for us today. Like We could pack up and go home. That's enough. But Father, look, over the next several minutes, would you, Spirit, would you do a work in the hearts of the men and women of the children in this room this morning? It's you doing the work, not me. It's in Jesus' name I ask and I pray. Amen. So a few years ago, uh, when my wife and I lived in Kansas City, uh, we not moving, we hadn't moved here yet, so we were in Kansas City, but we'd come back to Paragold to visit family. And anytime we came back to visit Paragold uh, to see our family, it inevitably always turned into a marathon day of house to house to house to house to house, seeing that family member, that family member, that family member. And because we didn't grow up in the same town and because my family is very divided, like none of those are in the same town. So it's just like, crazy hectic all the time. Jack was two or three. I can't, I can't remember how old he was, but he was little. He still is little. Uh, and he'd had a rough day. I mean, missed a nap, like going from house to house. Seeing all these people is overwhelming, right? So at the end of the day, it was like six o'clock or so. I thought, here's a brilliant thing to do. What cures a kid's tiredness more than sugar? So I took him to this amazing shave ice place I had just heard about called Ohana. Shout out to Robert Piercy. Uh, and took him there. It's a really cool atmosphere. I ordered this most awesome looking snow cone I've ever seen in my life. And I made a tragic mistake of thinking that my two or three-year-old son, who's like this big, could eat a snow cone that big without sharing it with me. I wanted to share the shark attack gummies with the sharks in the snow cone, snow cone with my son. And he threw, still to this day, probably the biggest tantrum that he's ever thrown in his life. Screaming, yelling, throwing things. Like I was angry in the moment. I was embarrassed because there's all these people looking at me. And I take him to my car. We take him back to our in-laws. I get him to his room. And I, we're 20 or 30 minutes into it in, in the spare room where we're staying. And he's screaming and yelling and hitting. And like, it's awful. I feel embarrassed because my, my in-laws are right there. And they're like, they must be judging me because I can't raise a, a kid as good as they did. I'm angry because he won't do what I want him to do. I'm sad because I want to be a better parent than to get so angry at my son. I was feeling as many emotions as you could possibly feel in that moment. Last week we had Rusty here and he talked about how this Christian life is about the small, the hidden, and the hard faith through the hard knocks of life. And as I was sitting here listening to him preach, knowing that the next week I'm preaching about parenting, the only thought I had is if there is anything that is small, hidden, and hard, it's parenting. Do you feel that? Like, I don't, if you're in the room and you would raise your hand and say, I'm pretty amazing at parenting. Like, don't raise your hand. We don't want to see it. Because I think the rest of us the rest of us would all raise our hand and say, listen, this morning was hard enough. Like parenting is hard. Chip Dodd says, one of the greatest and most difficult things we could ever do is become parents. When we become parents, we're guaranteed our lives will become more painful than we hoped and less in control than we had ever planned. Do you identify with that? If that's you, you're not alone. You can hear the other people laughing because misery loves company, right? 
There are thousands of books we could read. There are millions of websites that we could go to to get wisdom on parenting. And there's a lot of really good resources. And uh, honestly, it's kind of overwhelming to me as I was like thinking about, okay, which resource do I use to talk about parenting? Well, we put a lot of value in this book. And so that's why this morning we're going to spend some time in Psalm 127 and, a, and another text later to see what God says about children and about our role, our call as parents. So first, in Psalm 127, we see three things. First, we see uh, God says that unless he's building the house, the work is useless. That's that's how Eugene Peterson and the NLT both use that word vain. They say useless. You cannot do this on your own power. Like parenting is really hard. But if you're trying to do it in your own power, it's like impossibly hard. He warns us against like working ourselves to the bone, staying up late, getting up early, being filled with anxiety throughout the day. Like parenting is hard. And unless God does the work, all of our work is useless. What we're building is useless. Second, he says that children are a gift to us. Don't let the world convince you otherwise. Like children are not a burden. They're blessings. I know that they're hard. It's very hard to parent, but they bring us a lot of joy. So rather than seeing your kid as a burden who's always in your way, always taking up too much of your money, like you've got a raise, but it's already spent because you've got kids, instead of looking at your kids as a, a burden, you have an opportunity to look at them as a blessing. But maybe you're in the, the camp that's like, of course my kids are a blessing. They're my everything. You also need to hear that kids are not gods. They're a gift to us. Children are not meant to have the world revolve around them. They're not meant to have your world revolve around them. They don't make your life complete. To look to them to be for you what God alone can be for you is nothing short of idolatry. A cliche that is so common in parenting, cliche because we all do it, is to, to live vicariously through your kids, to parent vicariously through your kids, whether that be some amazing achievement that you got when you were a kid or a teenager or a young adult, whatever, and you want to just relive it again, so you're going to like funnel your kid that way. Or most often, in my case, some failure that I want a second chance at. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm bigger now. Now I won't get bullied in, in fourth grade. Like I'm going to live vicariously through my son. He's going to be good at basketball and not sit on the bench like I did. Like, if you are using your kids as a tool to relive your life, that is not how God intended our kids to be. He intended them to be a gift to us. So without God building, anything built is useless and children are a gift. But finally, in this short psalm, God likens children to a quiver of arrows. Children are not given to us to complete us. Uh, an archer does not get his arrows and keep them forever. He sharpens his arrows. He polishes his arrows. And then he shoots them off on their mission. Shoots them out into the world. Your, your children are going to have an impact in the world. And because of the impact they have in your life, they're already having an impact in the world. They're not just the future. They are now. They are important. They are made in God's image now. So with that view in mind, if we want to parent our kids so that they're ready for real life in a fallen world. If we want to raise children that are resilient disciples of Jesus, like what are the realities, the implications from this text? I want to call us to a couple things. First, I want us to, to accept the call to parent good enough. 
And secondly, I want us to accept the call to parent faithfully throughout our day. So first, we must realize that parenting our children is not about simply about behavior modification or control. It's not about writing a new law for our kids. Because a kid who only knows how to follow the rules of the house will abandon the rules when they hit the harsh realities of life or when they find a better rule or write their own better rule in their mind. A resilient disciple can weather the storm because discipleship is more than law. It's more than rules. It's about a relationship. It's about understanding the heart of the people that made in God's image. So parenting isn't simply about controlling your kid's behavior. It's about getting to their heart. And so if you're like me, my immediate thought when I hear that is, great, behavior modification is actually not that hard. I can get him to do what to do, except for when he's faced with snow cones and he's really, really tired. I can't get him to do anything then. Um, I can get my kid to do what I want most of the time. But to parent to his heart with grace, it's a much bigger task. So I can feel like I need to be a perfect parent. I can feel a lot more pressure put on me. Hear uh, how Chip Dodd talks about this. He says, our natural tendency is to want to be successful parents. The problem with this is that we ultimately measure ourselves by comparison and accomplishments. We must come to a place of accepting that we do not have the power to give each other or our children everything we wish or dream, nor do we have the ability to be perfect. As we awaken to the reality of our imperfections, accept them, even celebrate them, we learn instead to parent from the heart. You cannot be the perfect parent. And to try to continually strive to be this perfect parent who has no, nothing wrong with you, that everything's coming up, up, up amazing, everything's coming up roses, and your kids are amazing, to have that pressure put on you constantly is only going to cause you and your kids more and more pain as you strive for this thing that cannot be grasped. You must come to a realization That perfect does not exist, but you can parent good enough. God says that the best we can ever become are clumsy parents who are not perfect, but good enough. A good enough parent is one who makes mistakes. A good enough parent is one who knows that they're going to cause some harm and trauma to their kids. A good enough parent is one who can look embarrassing in the grocery store because they don't got it all together. A good enough parent as one who can tampen down their pride and go to their kid to repent for something that they did to their kid. A good enough parent is one who can, in an age-appropriate way, be vulnerable with their kids about how I need Jesus in my everyday life too. Because if I'm not doing that, all I'm teaching them is law. If I'm not displaying to them that I need grace, they won't ever catch that they need grace. A good enough parent is one that's not lazy because they can't be perfect. But rather, they look diligently for the daily opportunities to share the gospel with their children throughout the daily grind of life, especially when they mess up. So don't aim for perfection. Aim for good enough. God continues by saying, you cannot give your children something that you do not possess. So if you are not spiritually, emotionally, or relationally healthy, you can't give that to your kids either. You might be able to say all the right things. You can quote a good book or two. You have some one-liners. But they're not going to pick up the words you say so much as the actions that you perform or the inactions that you perform. So if you don't have emotional health, 
your kids are going to pick up on that way more than you saying that they need to have emotional health or whatever words you would use. So, parent, you must take responsibility for your own growth. Mom and dad, if you want to raise resilient disciples of Jesus, you must be a resilient disciple of Jesus. Not a perfect disciple of Jesus. That doesn't exist. A resilient disciple of Jesus is one who's constantly turning back to him over and over and over in the midst of the harsh realities of life, in the midst of failure, going back to Jesus. Taking in uh, what we talk about here is the, the intentional spiritual formation diagram. So if you have the version app, the Bible app, in the notes, there is that, that diagram that's there. Uh, instructions on how to get there is on the Connect card. But this is a triangle that at the top of it talks about the, to in, be formed spiritually, intentionally, at the top is teaching. So you're taking in teaching from the gospel, from Christian um, preachers or, or, or friends or authors, whatever. You're taking in teaching from God's word. The second one is habits or practices. So you're developing, cultivating this, practicing the way of Jesus to become closer to him. And third is community. If you're living in isolation, your, your kids are going to suffer because of that as well. And in the center of this triangle is the Holy Spirit. Because unless God builds the house, the building is useless. So in conjunction with the reality that you can't give your kids spiritual health if you don't have spiritual health, if you don't have physical energy, you don't have anything to give your kids uh, either. God says, we as parents have to be really good at taking care of ourselves. We can't give our children something we don't have. If we don't put on our own oxygen mask first, When stress levels go up, we're not going to be able to give our children what they need. When we are not running on empty, we have more to give our children. But when we don't take care of ourselves for our children's sake, we move into the mode of getting children taken care of instead of taking care of children. In parenting, running on empty, giving our children the fumes of our remaining energy, this is not what's best for our kids. Laying down our lives and picking up our cross, like in parenting, has much more to do with putting down our agenda of having a perfect kid. Laying down uh, our, our rights and taking up our cross has much more to do with laying down our ego of what other parents think about us. It, it's more about sacrificing our sinful flesh than it is about sacrificing our physical health or our spiritual health or our emotional health. If you want to parent your children, if you see that as taking up your cross and following Jesus through parenting, you need to have health. And when you do, you can be fully present with your children. So for your kids' sake, take care of yourself. Grow spiritually. Get healthy emotionally. Have relationships outside the four walls of your house. And get some rest. God says the greatest fruits come from the deepest roots. And deep roots need Uh, They they require a lot of feeding in order to produce fruit. So the more well-fed we are, the more well-rested we are, the more we can produce in our children. Jesus took up a literal cross for us, right? But before he did, what did he do a lot in the Gospels? He took naps on boats all over the place. So take a nap. As I said earlier, if you've already forgotten, if, if throughout a sermon talking about parenting has you heaping guilt on yourself, heaping shame on yourself, if you're uh, moving into self-loathing, let that turn you to the Father in prayer. Because 
the call here is you can't be a perfect parent. You can't be the perfect, good enough parent. Like, just parent good enough. If you have regrets thus far in your parenting, whether you have a six-month-old or your kid has a six-month-old, and you have regrets in your parenting, listen, that's actually a good thing. Regrets point you to the fact that you love your kids and you want more for them than what you were able to give to them. You're never going to parent perfectly. You're going to make mistakes. And regrets say, man, I wish I could have been better. But what's better than the perfect parent or pretending like you can be the perfect parent is the repentant parent. The parent who can go to their kid today and say, I'm sorry, I've messed up. The, the better than the perfect parent is the seeking forgiveness parent. Better than the perfect parent is the displaying the gospel in action parent. So hopefully you can take a deep breath and just commit to parenting good enough for your kids. And with the time remaining, I want to look at uh, four practical ways we can move into uh, raising resilient disciples. Four moments of your life, four habits you can develop. And in order to get there, let's look at Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. It's at the front of your Bible if you have one with you. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. This passage uh, is one you've probably heard before. If not from Deuteronomy, maybe you heard Jesus quoting it as the greatest commandment. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Starting in verse 4, here's what God's word says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. There are uh, two things I want to point out in this text. We're given this great commandment. Jesus calls it the greatest commandment. If you can do one thing, it's this. All the law and prophets are summed up in this one thing. Love God with everything you have. Immediately after the greatest commandment in all of Scripture, what's the very next thing said? Teach them to your children. The most important thing you could do as a parent, the most important thing you could teach your children is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The other thing I want to point out here, though, is a warning. Because you see, Israel did not do this. They did not listen. One generation after this commandment was miraculously given by God, the the nation of Israel was one uh, described as not knowing the Lord. They didn't know the work of the Lord. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They abandoned God. They did not do, uh, they did not know the God of their fathers. As Matt Chandler eloquently says, he says, the, the people who heard Deuteronomy 6 did not pass on Deuteronomy 6. You, however, get the chance to do what they did not do. You not only get to keep God's life-giving command to love him with all your heart, but you get to diligently teach that to your children. So we have the greatest commandment. We have a great commission to take the gospel to the whole world, which starts in your home. How do we do that? How do we fulfill this? Well, Justin Early is is an author and a a master when it comes to habits, and I've, I've really benefited from his book. So habits is, again, one of the parts of this triangle of the intentional spiritual formation paradigm. 
And hear, hear what he says about habits. He says, my habits are forming me into a certain kind of parent. My parenting is forming them into certain kinds of kids. We are all together forming each other into a certain kind of family. We become our habits and our kids become us. That's scary. Which means who our children are becoming is tightly connected to who we are becoming. The amazing thing about this text in Deuteronomy is the diverse like places in which God gives them uh, tips, instructions on where to teach the, the, this message to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He tells them to do it when you're getting up, when you're sitting down, when you're walking on the road, like all over the place. What he's saying is, hey, in your normal everyday life, find opportunities to share the gospel with your kids. This is to be some magical, amazing, like, like build a chapel in your house. It's like in every moment of your life, you're finding opportunities to share the gospel with your kids. I guarantee you're probably real quick to discipline your kids when they're out of line. But you have a knee-jerk reaction to get them back in line. Can we develop a knee-jerk reaction to not just discipline our kids, but to disciple our kids throughout life? When you're at the grocery store, when you're at a ball game, when you're out in the, in the field hunting, when you're at a birthday party, when you're at a funeral, especially when your kids are experiencing some big, strong emotion, hurt or sadness, anger. These are all opportunities God has given to us to disciple our kids. So, man, there are innumerable places and times that you could do this. I'm going to run through four that, that I thought were important uh, for us to walk through. So four moments of your life, four times of your day, four habits that you can develop as you um, teach your children the gospel of Jesus. So habit number one, time number one is morning time. As we saw earlier, you can't parent your children into something that you don't have yourself. So if you don't have a habit of being with Jesus through prayer, scripture reading, Silence and solitude, fasting. If you don't have these habits built into your life, your children are not. But also, even if you do have those, but it's all super private and you're never bringing your kid into it, they also can't learn. They can't see what it looks like for an adult to be dependent on God through scripture and prayer. So we need to invite them into that. So there's a, a popular way of saying this called win the morning or as Jared has shared with me, another author says, Bible before breakfast. This is a, a crucial moment of your day when you can share the gospel with your kids before you go off to work and they go off to school and you don't see each other for eight hours. You could surely do it at another time uh, or place, but like there's a strategic opportunity at the start of their day to hear the truth of the gospel, to hear that whatever they're hoping for in school to fulfill them can never fulfill them. To, to help them when they're, they're being bullied or have an opportunity to bully another kid. Going to scripture before breakfast, Bible before breakfast, is an excellent opportunity for you to share the gospel with your kids. Now, I'll be open. I'll be honest with you. I've read over and over. I have two different books by Justin Early where he talks about the importance of scripture before screens. That get into the word before you get onto your entertainment device. And there was a morning just recently, I think it was last week, that I became shamefully aware of my dependence on a screen. I, I woke up in the morning, Jack 
he always wakes up super early in the morning, more than anybody should. And he comes into my room and he gets in the bed between me and Sarah. And what, what I do is I reach over to my nightstand, grab my phone, and I start doing the daily wordle because I have to beat my friends uh, at, at getting to it first, right? And he looks over at me and he says, Daddy, can I have my phone to play games? There's nothing wrong with playing games on a phone. Like he has an old iPhone that he'll play games on. But what I had taught him in that moment was, if you're going to do anything to start your day, you start with screens. That's the thing that I had just taught my son. And I felt shame about that. So the, ha- the, the time number two that I want to talk about is screen time. Like we have this morning time, we also have screen time. Screens are incredibly formative to us, to us and to our children. But for many, there's hardly a moment in our day that we go without screens. I mean, here we are, we've become so dependent on screens that like the best way for us to follow along in a sermon is to have a screen in front of us. Screens are difficult because they're not in and of themselves bad. They're not negative. Screens are neutral. Social media is generally neutral. And yet we know, you know, you've heard there's some really, really dangerous side effects of being so dependent on screens and social media. There's a statistic that I read that says 20, in 2009, 25% of American high school students said they had persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness. By last year, that 25% had grown to 44%. And for high school girls, that's 57% of girls have persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness. I mean, what's the difference? If you put a 2009 high school girl up here and a 2022 high school girl up here, what is the one major difference? Screens. Phones and social media are discipling our kids. And if we're trying to disciple our kids towards Jesus, they are terrible disciple makers because they just disciple them to feel guilt and shame. And I'm never going to measure up to all these people out here who have a picture-perfect life. Screens are functionally among the strongest habit-forming mechanisms that exist today outside of addictive drugs. I saw a thing online an addict shared that said, you want to know what it feels like to be an addict of drugs, put your phone away for 24 hours and see how long you can go without reaching for it. Now, I know abstinence elimination is not the answer to screens. It can't be the answer. So if you're like, man, just got to freaking throw that iPad away. A kid can never see an iPad again. Or we're selling our TV. Like, that's not the answer. Elimination is not the answer. Curation can be your answer. Curation is putting together a, a very specific thing. So like an art museum, they could put all kinds of art. But a curator puts special art out. A curator puts thematic art out. So you can curate your kids' media use. Later this week, uh, I want to share online through our various communication channels uh, uh, one curated list that I know of that can help you as you disciple your kids. But, but here's the thing about curation. It's also not just simply elimination. It's not going, you know what? All rated R movies, that's what's out. Everything else, that's good. Because that's not the truth either. There are things under rated R that's not good. There are things that are rated R that when your kid is of of the right age that they should interact with and watch and and be able to have a conversation about. 
So it's not just eliminating anything or only ever interacting with Christian media. It's having a curated um, list of media that they can interact with and that can move you into a conversation about that thing. Because we're not just letting screens parent our kids, right? We're not just letting screens disciple our kids. We're using it as a tool to get to their heart. Which leads us to the next one, which is conversation time. We need to have intentional conversation with our kids about God's love for them. They need to hear God loves you. Because from an early age, we're already hiding ourselves. We're already trying to measure up. They need to hear God loves you. They need to hear I love you, parent. The number of stories that I've heard of, of older men saying, I never once heard my dad say I love you. It's staggering. Actually, after the first service, there was a lady that came up to me and she has a 14-year-old daughter and she's got a lot of like tension between her and her daughter. They're not on great terms, honestly. She's struggling as a parent. And she came up to me and she said, I, I, I leaned over to her and I, I said, I love you. And she, she just rolled her eyes, of course. Know that just saying it isn't gonna be the magic bullet. It's consistently showing up in their lives, having conversations with them. And here's the thing. You need to have informal conversations where you're just asking open-ended questions and letting them share. But if your kid is struggling to, if you're struggling with having your kid open up to you saying, my kid won't ever talk to me because they're two and they can't talk or because they're 15 and they think they know everything. My kid won't talk to me. Here's an amazing quote Justin Early said. He said, a child is honest because a parent is honest first. A child is vulnerable because a parent demonstrates vulnerability. A child engages in conversation because a parent seeks them out. Listen, if you're having a hard time talking with your kid, it's not going to be resolved in one conversation. But consistently showing up and having conversations with them filled with grace, showing an interest in what they're actually interested in, not just trying to control their behavior. Over time, your hearts can be tethered together. So we can set the tone for informal conversations by being vulnerably honest as is age appropriate with our kids, whether they be 2, 12, 22, or 52. These conversational times can be more formal too as well. So you have informal times where you just find time, whether you're in the car, at the grocery store, or whatever, to have conversations with your kids. But you can have formal conversations too, formal leading of your family as well. I don't know about you. I was raised in a Christian home where at least Christian behavior was expected of me, but there was no presence of being led in any pursuit of Jesus together. That was all individualized if it was happening at all. I I had no one demonstrate for me what it looks like to read your Bible every day. I had no one to show me what it looks like to, to pray every day. But you have the opportunity to develop some simple habits. It doesn't have to be crazy elaborate, but some simple habits of talking through Scripture with your kids. When it comes to this like family devotion time is what you can think of. And when it comes to that, it's not about being perfect. Because if you try to have a perfect family gathering of a conversation about the Bible, it's never going to go well. And what does trying to be perfect do? It causes pain for you and for them. So it's not about being perfect. It's about going from nothing that I had when I was a kid to something. We're introducing some kind of discipleship with your kids. And if you're looking for tips on on what to do here at The Crossing, like we highly encourage you to download the Parent Q app. It's right here. 
this is directly connected to what your kids are learning in Crossing Kids or in student ministry uh, on Wednesday nights. And so you can get this app, pull it up. It reminds you how little time you have left remaining with your kids. Uh, but then you can also watch the same Bible video that they watch in their classroom. Here's an amazing thing, complete like God timing kind of thing. You want to know the lesson that they're learning in Crossing Kids today? Jesus loves little children. We did not plan that whatsoever. But Jesus loves little children. That's what they're learning today. And they're learning how because Jesus is gentle with children, the fruit of the Spirit can come out and they can be gentle as well. How many parents need uh, some lessons in how to be gentle with their kid? Because I know I do. So we recommend that you get this Parent Q app. You can watch the Bible video. It gives you some conversational starters with your kids as well. And you spend time with your kids. So this is our fourth habit, our fourth moment, our fourth time is quality time. As we saw earlier, you can't give your kids something you don't have. So first, you must prioritize time with Jesus. Then you must also prioritize time with your spouse. But you have to prioritize quality time with your kid on their terms and in their space. And you might, I have my little boys, especially the oldest, looks just like me. That's what everyone says. We just did face swap uh, app yesterday for the first time or day before, and they put a mustache on them, and it was weird. Uh, But my kids look just like me. But they won't necessarily have the exact same interests that I have. If your kid does, awesome, bravo, kudos to you, great. But there's a good chance you might be into football and they're into robotic Legos. If you're always trying to filter conversations and time with them through football, but they're into robotic Legos, you're not going to win their heart. So we need to spend time with them on their terms, on their turf. And it's highly valuable to invite them into your interest too. Share with them your heart. Why do you like football or shopping or baking or whatever it is? Invite them into your space and meet them in their space as well. Show them how Jesus can meet them in the midst of the daily grind of their life. Because here's a reality. Whatever stage of life they're in right now is the hardest stage of life they've ever been in right now. Would you say the same for you probably? The stage of life you're in right now is probably the hardest stage of life you've ever been in. More is riding on you than ever before. Don't belittle the struggles of a four-year-old. Don't belittle the struggles of a nine-year-old or a 16-year-old or a 30-year-old who now has a kid in the house for the first time. Identify with them in their struggles because you've probably had similar struggles yourself. So you spend that quality time with them. Quantity is great, but you need to have quality time where you're actually having those conversations we talked about. There's the classic phrase that the way to spell love is T-I-M-E. Funny enough, also in the first service, there was a uh, I think he's a 10-year-old, and here's like, that is not how you spell love. <laughs> but um, time, time is the currency of relationships. Jesus demonstrated identifying with us and spending time with us when he came to earth, and he spent time with the people there. He came all the way down to us to identify with us in our weaknesses. He showed what resiliency is all about. And he's here to help. So here's my encouragement to you today. You can do this. 
You can raise a resilient disciple of Jesus. You can point your kids to Jesus, not because you're full of wisdom, because you're full of power, because you're just, just the most faithful parent in the world. You've got awesome sleep schedules for your little ones. Like, that's not why you can do this. You can do this because God says he's the one who's building the house. And if you're trying to do it in your own power, it's going to be a useless endeavor. You can do this because God is the one doing this. But God isn't doing it alone. You notice that there still are builders building. It says, unless God builds the house, the builders build in vain. There are still builders there. And builders, they are named mom. Builders are named dad. So you can do this. There's only one perfect father. So you can let yourself off the hook. There's only one perfect son. So you can let your kids off the hook. The power that you have to be a good enough, clumsy, faithful, consistent parent is the reality that our Father sent His perfect Son to live the life that we were designed to live, but we have refused. And He died the death that we all deserve to die. There's not a parent in this room who loves their kid more than God loves your kid. So if your kid is wayward, Know that God loves your kid. Know that 100% of God's children at one point in their life has been wayward. You have been a wayward child as well. There's not a single parent in this room who is loved more by their parent than the father loves you. The father loves you. And we know this because he sent his son to die for us. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. So that's what we come to this table every week to celebrate so we celebrate communion at the crossing every week to, to symbolize what Jesus has done for us. So here at this table, in a moment, I'll invite you to come and partake in communion. We have a bread. It's a vegan, gluten-free bread, if that's important to you, and, and, and the juice. And someone will tear the piece of the bread off, and they will hand it to you saying that this is the body of Jesus broken for you. That represents his perfect life. And you'll take that bread and dip it in the juice and they will say, this is the blood of Jesus shed for you. And that represents his sacrificial death on the cross. And so if you're a Christian, whether you're a member of our church or not, we invite you to come at that time to take communion. If you're not a Christian, if you're in the room and that would not be who you are, we don't have very many closed doors to you here, but this is one where we say, this is not for you. This would just be a hollow religious act. And if you have a kid in here with you and your kid has not professed Christ as their Savior, if they cannot articulate the gospel, this table is not for them either. This will do them no good. It will only give them a false sense of salvation. And that will be more damaging to them than helpful. So I'm going to invite our servers and our band to come back up now. And when you're ready, we'd love for you to come and take part in communion. And if you're in that group that's not yet a believer, if you're in the room and you're like, I can't come take a part of this because I have not trusted Christ as my Savior, don't feel shame about that. Like literally every one of us are here. None of us are Christians based on our own merit. It's because of what he has done for us and we've accepted it. And that can be you today. I would love to talk with you and pray with you about what that would look like for you to accept Christ today. So you can come find me. Pastor Jared's right up here in the, in the front as well. Robert's in the middle. Uh, we would love to talk with you about what that would look like to accept Christ, to take communion for the first time. So uh, would you pray with me and prepare your hearts for communion? Father, um, 
you are a good father. There, there's that song, uh, you're, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And then it tells me what my identity is. And my identity is, I am loved by you. That's who I am. The core of my identity is a son of God loved by the Father. So let me lean into that. Help us to lean into that. Would you give us grace in our, we struggle to even just be people, be Christians in our world today, but to also be responsible for little ones or teenagers or adults. There's a lot of pressure, but thank you for this word that you're the one who builds the house and all I have to do is be good enough. So Father, as we come and take communion, would your spirit be present among us? Let us be grateful for the work that you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.